If you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. As we get into it, we're going to pray our Matthew prayer here in a moment. But one of the things that we decided to do in Matthew is be flexible with the scriptures that we kind of choose to preach on this day. So this will actually be the third time that verse uh, 4 verse 17 is in there. But it's because it's I want us to include kind of the transition into verse 18 through 22 because there's so many transitional statements in Matthew and it's really quite unbelievable. The and thens or but now or they went to that kind of thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. But if you guys would pray with me our Matthew prayer and then I'm going to read to us from Matthew 4, 17 through 21. Our Father, allow your Holy Spirit to reveal to us this wise picture of Jesus' life. Teach us to listen, consider, and implement what we see into the way we live. Let us see your kingdom anew, and let our desires be to seek and follow your ways. Jesus, we want to be your disciples. Help us live our lives for you. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, 17 through 22. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there... He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their follow followed. Or uh, they left, they, sorry, immediately they left their boat and followed, and their father and followed him, him being Jesus. Amen. So I, I got through it. We're, we're good. So. I love the movement in the Gospels. I love the idea of um, when you read the Gospels, time seems to go by so quickly, right? We only have really documented Jesus' birth and then three years of his ministry. And there are lots of and thens, and then the story connects, and there's no time differential in between them. And, it, and the story is, it can move rather quickly sometimes, sometimes too fast for me, but it keeps the reading interesting and like it flows. It's a great flow from like a narrative perspective. And however, it's interesting because we only have 28 chapters in Matthew and then we have Luke and uh, John and Mark, but we have 28 chapters in Matthew and they, they seem to move rapidly through the life and times of Jesus. And then even in the 28, three of those chapters are one sermon which if you kind of read it straight through, which we'll do in a couple weeks, it's only like 15 minutes. So you will probably have a little bit of extra time that day. We'll see. But um, oftentimes it seems to move too quickly for me. It's like, and then immediately they went and then they did this and then they did that. Like it was just like one constant adventure. And I wish it was stretched out or I wish we had like a little bit more writing of the lives and times of Jesus. Cause I just, I kind of want more of Jesus. I want more of the, Uh, well, I do kind of want the boring times. I do want to see some of that things because so much of our life feels that way as well. But in this section of Matthew, there's constant movement in these verses. 
constant movements. There's walking, fishing, casting down of nets, going from leaving, right? Going to, and then leading. Jesus is leading and there's following as well. And it's not that long of a section. There's a lot of movement going on in these five verses. And I wonder if this is why many people have called what Jesus started with these followers the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Many have said, or they've called it, when Jesus started calling his first disciples, they said this was the beginning seeds of a movement. However, I have to disagree a little bit. So, um, because, mainly because, I don't really like the term movement or its implications for us today. When we put it into what Jesus was starting, Jesus was continuing something. He wasn't just starting something. He was continuing a story that he began with creation and it it will go until we see him again face to face. And this is part, the movement had started with in the beginning, there was light, right? And so it began in Genesis. And I don't think that Jesus came to start a movement as we use the word today. He came to show us the way so that we may follow him. And I have to agree in part, uh, in large part with Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry wrote this about, about movements. He said, movements, almost by definition, are compelled to be certain or right. So it is not surprising that they tend to be self-righteous and are more convinced of their superiority. So think about different movements. Think about different groups, right? Think about like um, yesterday was Earth Day. Think about the environmental movement. They're certain that this needs to be done. Whatever this is, right, whether it's uh, plant more gardens, whether it's plant more trees, whether it's, you know, clean up the oceans, whether it's, think about the confidence and self-righteousness that they walk with. But then again, think about that in Christians. Some of us Christians uh, and some of us at different times, we walk as if we're right, everybody else is wrong, everybody else be damned because at least we're following Jesus. And this is not the way that Jesus taught us to walk. He didn't teach us to walk like movements walk. The way of Jesus is not self-righteous. It's a way of humility and grace. It tells others not, it, it, uh, it tells others, so we tell of Jesus' greatness, not to conquer them or prove them wrong, but to invite them into a way that is better than the way that they are going. To invite them into Jesus. But because we have tasted and seen of God's great love for us in our lives, we can't help but proclaim the goodness of Jesus. Um, Jesus didn't come to give us all the answers, did he? When we all are left with many answers, but he came so that we might follow him, taking one step at a time. Oftentimes, walking, uh, uh, the walk with Jesus is not one of certainty. There are uh, times when we cannot see our next step. But the walk with Jesus is one of faith, and we get to walk it. And faith is an unknowing of what's next, and yet trusting Jesus will see us through. Jesus' way is different than the way of movements as we know them, and we get to live our lives differently as we follow Jesus. Far more, we need to, far more than we need to be right, we get to love Jesus and walk in his ways. We are not a movement, but our lives are lived in and for and through the power and grace that only Jesus can give by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And here, though we see Jesus walking along, right? He had been baptized 
and he had been trialed and tested and he was coming out of that and he, he had just said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And here we see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee and he calls two groups of brothers, Simon, who's called Peter and his brother Andrew, who were likely fishing in the shallows and not in their boat. So at the time there was two types of fishermen. One would be the boat type fishermen. And then another would be, they would just be casting nets on the shore, doing a look, catching smaller fish that way. And then, and then going on from there, which is another movement, Jesus saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee in a boat. And these four men were fishermen by trade. And Jesus was gathering a group of followers who would commit themselves to a total change of lifestyle, a total change of lifestyle. He called them from going, going from fishing for fish to fishing for men. It's totally a, a different thing. I don't think that James and John ever used nets to catch the men. I don't think that's what they did. So uh, that skill might've been one that they just kept in their back pocket, but now, I know this doesn't sound like the start of a life-changing, world-impacting group. You've got Jesus. Now, that's a good start, right? You've got Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, that's a good start. But then, the first four are four fishermen. Two of them uh, were likely fishing off the bank, so I'm not sure if they had boats. And the other two were likely fishing in their dad's boat. And Jesus called them, and they immediately gave up everything to follow Jesus. So here you go. Fishermen from a rural village, right? Rural region. I've often said, think of it, if we're in Seattle, how many of us hear about the happenings of Lake Soyuz? Angie probably does because she's got family there, so she hears it. But if we were to hear of that region, it's kind of like, oh, so you mean fishermen from Lake Soyuz? Like they're doing this thing in this region? Okay, whatever. Like you're not really paying that much of attention. The most, in, it wasn't the most important or influential people of that day. And yet Jesus knows what he is doing and calling these men. As he knows what he is doing when he called you and is calling me as well. Jesus is not making a mistake with this group. Fishermen of that day were not the poorest. They weren't like just the poorest of poor. They were, it seems to be, at least like middle-class, blue-collar laborers with labor-intensive work. We know that Peter at least owned a home. We can see that in scriptures because Jesus visited it and he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law there. So I'm assuming that it would be akin in our day to someone like, um, like someone in the drywallers union. Something like that or some other honorable trade, hardworking, yet socially as a group not associated with changing the world or changing our region or the political or spiritual climate of the day, right? Yet it is the wisdom of God to start with this group. We don't have to understand it, but we can appreciate that they did something great in immediately following when Jesus called them. These first followers of Jesus are showing us the way as well. They gave up everything to follow Jesus without much explanation. Follow me, here's the explanation. I know you're fishing for fish, you're gonna be fishers of men. And they followed, they gave up everything. There was no guarantee of what their future would look like. There was, there was um, no, uh, as we know it, there was no death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't have that full story yet, and yet they still followed. They seem, they seem to know that 
to learn the way, this new way of Jesus uh, was a beautiful thing. And so they followed it with humility, with sacrifice, and with obedience. They didn't know the benefits yet of love and joy and peace and patience and grace and all these things or let alone heaven or you know what I'm saying. They didn't know all these benefits. And this shows us that there is no self-serving when we're serving Jesus. It's not what we get out of it. It's that we get to give our lives to Jesus. We get to be satisfied to follow Jesus and have him guide us and lead us. We don't have all the answers. We just know that and believe that Jesus is enough. That's what we get to be about. I loved that following, the word following in the scripture literally means to walk behind. To walk behind. It would have been seen that uh, there back in the teacher, or back in that day, there would have seen teachers, whether religious teachers, political teachers, like um, philosophers or anything like that. People would have these students known as followers, like I follow this person or I follow that person. And they would literally, if they were in public, they would walk behind their teacher as kind of like a, a metaphor of like, no, I'm listening to this person. I'm learning from this person. I'm studying them. I'm not above them. And so it was also like a bit of humility. They would follow. They would walk behind that teacher, allowing that teacher to lead and to guide and to teach. And this took trust in the teacher. You never knew when the teacher was going to stop, as Jesus does many times, pick a couple grains and then teach a lesson. You never knew when that was going to happen or they would see something. They'd be like, you know, that reminds me. And they, so they would stop and follow this teacher. There was something in Jesus that made sense for these men to follow Jesus to get behind him, to follow him, to submit to him as their teacher. One thing I know about blue collar folk is they won't just give in and follow anybody. Amen. They just won't do that. They can be a stubborn lot. Praise be to Jesus. Maybe uh, I'm sure Peter needed to be as stubborn as he was to fulfill what God had for him, but they just won't give in and follow anybody. But they saw that Jesus had a lot of worth in their following. And so they immediately followed him. And as they followed him, Jesus gave them a mission. One that seemed similar at first, or at least it was a metaphor they can appreciate. Jesus called them to go from fishing fish to fishing men. And this mission that Jesus gave was giving them involved laying down some things and picking up others. Repentance means the same thing. To turn away from our sin and our idolatry and turn towards Jesus and follow him. In, this, in this, this way, these first disciples were showing us what Jesus had already preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And they showed us what repentance is. They were turning from everything they knew, and they devoted their lives to Jesus. And we can see from scriptures that they had questions. They didn't know how it was all going to play out, and yet they still followed These men gave up all they had. They gave up all they knew. Their career and their futures were gone, at least for James and John. They gave up their father. They gave up their boats. They gave up their nets. But in doing so, they also gave up their livelihood. And you could look at it it this way, that they gave up their paycheck to follow Jesus and the security of paychecks to come just to follow this man because he said, hey, come, follow me. As I mentioned earlier, Peter was married and had a home. 
And we don't know if Peter's wife was able to travel with him when, when Jesus said, come follow me. And if uh, in Peter's house, or we don't know if Peter's house became a hub while they were in that region. But we know that even if those things happened, there were sacrifices made not only by Peter, not only by James and John and Andrew, but by their families as well. Leaving what they knew was a sacrifice, and yet they were obedient. They were immediately obedient. Now, this does not justify uh, leaving our families like some missionaries of old used to do. I don't think that was justified in what they, what they did. But at the same time, like some of the great calls of some of the uh, most glorious calls and people just following Jesus no matter what. Now, fishers of men, in doing this, they had to learn a new trade. Later, Jesus would go on to teach them that they were to go after the lost sheep of Israel. And then not only that, after Jesus ascended into heaven, they were supposed to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. So they would, once they were hauling in fish, next they would be going out and telling people about Jesus, hoping that these people who are lost would be found by Jesus and give their lives to Jesus they were helping people hear and know about Jesus. And uh, just as they had given up everything to follow this man, Jesus, they were going to let people know that they did this and that it was good and it was a life worth following them. And so they followed Jesus and it cost them greatly in the moment and it cost them greatly for the rest of their lives. We know at least John was boiled in oil. We know that Peter was murdered on a cross upside down. We're not necessarily what sure what happened to the other two, but they preach and they teach their entire lives that it was worth the cost, that it was worth the cost, that when they followed immediately and they did what Jesus asked them to, it was worth the cost. And even though it ended up costing their lives, but they also were following Jesus like Jesus was Jesus and it cost his life. And Jesus called them and they lived their life of witnesses, not of their own selves, not out of regret, not out of like, oh man, I wish I would have never gotten out of the boat that day. But because if you read the account of John and all his writings, John, this very John in this subject, the son of Zebedee, he writes about the love and light constantly of Jesus. He calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Not the woes of following the disciple who Jesus loved. And sometimes we didn't see him or know where he was. Or he wasn't that. He just goes, no, this great love that he talks about. Until the end of each of their lives, they urged us. Us, you and me, over 2,000 years later, to follow Jesus. To do the same as they did. To give our lives to Jesus. Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven near. And he is asking us to repent and follow him. The kingdom has its king and that king is Jesus. And we get to follow. And we get to come behind Jesus. Not get out in front of him. Not get to his side. Not tell him where to go. But we get to get behind him and let him lead us and guide us. Which leads me back to the word immediately. It's one of my favorite words and one of my least favorite words in scripture at the same time. There are times when Jesus asks us to do something and we need to act with immediacy. Amen? We see this in this section from Peter, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and we have to be ready to follow Jesus with this in mind. Remember, these men didn't know the future. They didn't, they didn't know if it was going to go well for them or not. They gave up 
the, all their paychecks just to follow this man Jesus, period. They were going to follow Jesus without all the questions being answered. I'm sure there was hopes of like some of these questions being answered, but I figure this is what it's like for us a lot of times with Jesus. Jesus will ask us to do something and we have our, ah, but, 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 but Jesus, um, so I've got this going on and Thursday I've got this thing, Lord, I can't do it. Or we've got the, uh, well, what about this and that, Jesus? Have you thought about this other idea that I have for you? And, and, and yet Jesus just says, do this. And you know what we get to do? Act obediently, act immediately, even if it costs us something, even if it costs us everything. We get to be obedient. So I was thinking about this. We get to be obedient with our careers. Amen? Like we get to be obedient with our careers. We get to be obedient with our money. We get to be obedient with our time, which is hard because we can all love to waste time. But we get to be obedient, period. No matter what, no matter what area. Kids, you guys get to be obedient in your schools to what God has for you so you can grow and learn. Right? Amen? And so... That's, that's a good thing. We get to let go of our butts or this or that's or this kind of thing. We get to let go of their, those things. And there will be moments of great sacrifice. It's not every day that it's a great sacrifice to follow Jesus. There's so many benefits to it. But there will be moments of great sacrifice. And there will be immediate moments that we need to take. No, Jesus is telling me to do this. I need to do it now. And if Jesus asks us to do something, it's important to do it in the time frame he's asked you to do it. For these fishermen, immediate was the right time frame. But there are also things in, from their lives and in our lives that later on that took more time. They took more time than immediate. In following Jesus, there will be an immediacy, but there will also be uh, the rest of time as well. There's a lot that's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we don't know every second of every day. We don't know how it turned out. And then not only that, we have the rest of the, we have the, rest of the New Testament where you see these men trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, the best way to do it, how to instruct others in doing this. And so some of these things are immediate. Some of them take time. I, one of my great fears in a section like this, I, I believe I've heard it preached this way, so just do what God says immediately all the time. No questions asked. Move on. Keep going. It's a movement. we got to keep the ball rolling. we got to do this and that. And yet, Jesus asks us to do that sometimes, but he also gives us moments of rest. And so we need to just simply be obedient. We're not always going to be as big a hurry as these disciples were in this moment. It's not always going to be, and then, and then, and then, and then. It's not always going to be immediately. Some things take time for God to work in our lives, and we get to be obedient with the next step. The important thing is this, that we follow Jesus, that we're obedient, period. So I have these questions for us today. Where is it that Jesus is asking you to follow him today? What are the things that you have to set down in order to follow Jesus? And what are maybe the things that you have to pick up in order to follow Jesus? We are to be followers of Jesus. I'll say it this way. Not mere admirers, not respecters of Jesus, but followers at any cost. It's not enough to know about him. 
we also must follow him. It's not enough to do whatever we want in his name and trust that Jesus will just come right behind us. We must follow him. And we get to have the humility and grace that Jesus walks with and walk step by step because Jesus is our light and he will light our way. We don't get the whole roadmap all at once, but we get it little by little and Jesus will lead us. That is his promise. It isn't always easy and it isn't always easy to understand, but he is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises and he will never leave us or forsake us. That's what he says. So I ask again, where is it that Jesus is asking you to follow him today? Where is it? It's going to be different for each and every one of us. What are the things that you have to set down in life in order to follow Jesus? There's probably still some things that we cling on to that we're not willing to let go of, that we can let go of. What is it that you might have to pick up in order to follow Jesus? Maybe we have to set down our doubts. Maybe we have some questions that we just want answered, but we haven't had answered yet. Maybe we just need to set those down for a little bit to follow Jesus. Maybe we have to set down our fears. Like, what are we scared of? What are we scared of? We're scared of doing it wrong. Well, his grace says that we're going to do it wrong to begin with. Maybe we have to set down some of our desires as we follow Jesus, or maybe not set down some of these, but set down our expectations of how we want Jesus to do the thing that we're asking him to do as we follow him. Maybe we have to set down our need to be right to follow Jesus. We're not a part of a movement. We're part of the way that Jesus has for us. And then maybe we have to pick up. I actually really love this question because what are some of the things that we pick up? Maybe we have to pick up God's love for us and hold on to it. Like just remember that we're loved by God, that he sent his son Jesus into the world and call us to follow him by his great love. And Jesus shows us his way in his life. And his love is so big, even to the extent of willing to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to be buried and to rise again for us. And in this, he cleanses us from everything that we've ever done wrong. Maybe we have to pick up this love and hold on to it. Maybe we have to pick up God's grace for us in Jesus. And grace, I believe, is one of the hardest things to live by. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. Even though we want to, right? We, well, Lord, look at all these things I did for you. We simply get to receive it. Maybe it's uh, joy or peace or patience or any of the other fruits of the Holy Spirit that we get to pick up as we follow Jesus. In following Jesus, there are many rewards that can make it worth it, right? But in one sense, we give up a lot. We give up all these things, but in reality, we gain far more than we can ever ask or hope. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm convinced that Jesus is saying to some of us, follow me today. Some of us, for the first time, some of us follow Jesus. So if that's you, do so today. By the grace of God, I know that there are going to be questions, some of which will never get answered, but his love and his grace are good. They are sweet. And I urge you to follow Jesus today. Get behind him, not out in front of him, not to his side, but get behind him and let him lead. I'm also convinced that there are some of us who Jesus is calling follow me because he has asked us to do something and we're rejecting the will of God in our lives. 
We are resisting the leading of Jesus because we just don't like the direction that he has for us. And I pray that we may repent and believe that Jesus is our all in all. He is our everything. And I pray that each and every one of us may follow Jesus today, tomorrow, the next day, and following so on and so forth until the end of time, until we see him face to face. And may that be soon. Jesus, come before you. I pray, Lord, that you will teach us to follow you. Lord, I pray that as you have shown us that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that we may follow you. Lord, that you will show us when it needs to be immediate, when you show us when it has to take time. Lord, for those things that we need to pick up, those things that we need to let go of, those, what we need to do to follow you. Lord, I pray that you will give us the grace to do this, and I pray that you will show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen.